You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. And right now, so are you. I got John Poor here with me. We're in the old Elegante Studios. We're going to talk about how he ended up here in Birmingham, his history with music growing up, what he's doing for the scene right now, and secret stages. But first, here's Taylor Hollinsworth, Leaving Hearts Alone, off his latest album, Country Visions. Bye. 
so much for taking the time to be with me this morning man yeah man thanks for having me so uh just a little bit about you uh growing up where were you from and um what was that like growing up uh i grew up in iowa uh i had two older brothers and i was one one when we moved from cleveland ohio where we were all born uh and i grew up in sioux city iowa it's a northwest corner um, mm -hmm. of iowa um i mean i think it was a great place to grow up you know as far as safety and you know i was lucky that my, my dad was a physician so we got to travel a lot and mm -hmm. you know cost of living is pretty low in iowa so that allowed for a pretty good you know childhood and upbringing and you know didn't want for too much um but you know i think that I, we i moved from iowa to portland oregon when i was 16 and i think you know when you're a young teenager discovering all those things that was a pretty cool time to move to a much bigger city yeah uh, but you know i was cool i don't i got nothing bad to say about iowa i got you and just uh portland man like around what time was that was that around the grunge scene yeah um so it was i guess maybe i guess the grunge scene maybe was happening and people listening are going to tell me i got my timeline wrong but uh it was probably already happening in seattle mm -hmm. but as far as like uh, i have so it was 1990 so I think in the ne it was in the next couple of years that we got, you know, Pearl Jam's 10 and uh, uh, Nirvana and stuff like that when it really kicked off into the mainstream. So, yeah, yeah. and that was, I was more like uh, into the Grateful Dead and a lot of like, for lack of a better word, hippie music. Yeah. But uh, Jam band stuff? Yeah. Uh, we didn't call them jam bands yet. <laughs> there wasn't a whole slew of them like there is now, but um, I guess we may be starting to. But anyway... Um, but I did get into some of that stuff, that grunge stuff. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And the fashion made a lot more sense up there. 
<laughs> that it did. Uh, I guess it made kind of sense in Iowa, but you know, up there with all the puddles and all the rain and all the coal, the flannels and the Doc Martens, you know, they're really oh, yeah. functional. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just hipster, huh? It just right. made sense. Well, um, when did uh, when did you get into music and uh, just playing music? Uh, pretty early on, uh, we were always like, my household was, I, I, my parents were always listening to music, you know, whether it was music I look back on and say it was my favorite or not. They were always listening to something, uh, a lot of classical music. We were always taken to the symphony, uh, you know, in the in the hopes of making us well-rounded young men. Me and my brothers were always taken to, taken to the symphony and, uh, you know, sometimes forced to do things against our will, but then mm-hmm. we always had music around the house. Um, and I, uh, I was eight when I think I asked for my first guitar. Um, I didn't necessarily stick with it, you know. It wasn't until I was probably 13 that I really started playing and stuck with it but um yeah so I got I think I got a class with when I was eight and then when I w- went to school we were sort of forced to be in the band our parents were like you have to be uh-huh. in the band as part of a you know well-rounded education so I got you and just so uh classical guitar so were you like taking lessons to get you classically trained um nothing well I wouldn't I was taking I took some lessons I never got to the point of really being you know, actually learning classical music. I was just learning all the basics and and whatnot. Um, I can't remember. I didn't stick with it for very long, and then I got into school and I uh, took up the saxophone mm-hmm. and the saxophone for a few years. Um, and then I kind of that was kind of the end of my formal music education for a while through school because I was a believe it or not a tennis player, uh, and I started really dedicating a lot of time to tennis. And so my parents let me quit the school band because I was spending so much time. Uh, with tennis and traveling with tennis and waking up before school and playing, et cetera. So I kind of stopped the formal stuff there around 8th grade, ninth grade. Yeah. Did you pursue uh, tennis only in the college, or did it end at high school? No, it ended at high school. Basically, when I, so when, I, when we lived in Iowa, it was you know, full-board tennis. And then I just sort of, you know, I guess I just hit an age where that sort of structure and that sort of life lost its appeal, and I, you know, I... Uh, started getting into music a lot more, you know, playing on my own. Um, I hate to think that this derailed my t- a possible tennis career, but, you know, I discovered smoking pot and drinking <laughs> beer and having fun with my friends and playing music, and that yeah. just sort of became much more of a priority. I stuck with tennis through high school, um, you know, and played it the last two years of high school when I was in Oregon, which was still a lot of fun and really rewarding, but I stopped doing the year-round stuff and didn't pursue it in college. I got you. And so when you got out to Portland by this time, um, was it like you had these garage bands going with your friends or were, you, were y'all playing out? No, no, not at all. I felt like I was a real latecomer to the, to actually playing out and organizing a band, you know. I was always playing by myself and I'd do some open mics and try to do stuff like that. But it really wasn't until, um, you know, I had like, when I was back in Iowa, I'd play with my friends in my basement, you know, and stuff, but we weren't playing gigs and then those guys actually a lot of my friends from Iowa started playing out before I did and it wasn't until um, really until I moved to uh, down here to Alabama 20 years ago that I really started playing in bands and playing out before that it was just you know okay. solo dreaming in my bedroom or you know a solo gig here and there an open mic or something like that I got you uh, what led you down here to Alabama well I had so I guess I had Moved after high school, I went to Boston uh, Berkeley College of Music for a year, restarted my formal 
training uh, in music. Uh, didn't really enjoy that, and after a year, came back, knocked around, did, a, did some traveling, got back in school for a few years in Oregon, and then dropped out again and did some more traveling. And in that period, uh, this is about 2099, 2000, uh, my brother had moved here. I found myself back in Portland and was just sort of like, man, I'm, I'm just back in this routine that I don't want to be in, that I keep trying to shake. And my brother, uh, he was working for Jim and Nick's. He was managing the Jim and Nick's in Homewood. Okay. And he said, come down here. I can get you a job. You can live with me for the summer for free. And then you can go you know, yep. save some money and go do your thing. Yeah, uh, while you get on your feet. And that was 20 years ago. <laughs> I guess. So I've been here ever since. And so uh, what led into... Uh what led into you playing music down here and forming the band? Was it just uh, the scene kind of opened up to you, or was it the people you were getting surrounded by? Um, yeah, I guess both. Um, you know, even when I moved down here for the first few years, I wasn't playing out. Um, there was a, I wanted to get back into school and complete a degree, uh, and I was actually dating someone at the time who, you know, I was thinking of all these things I should do, and she said, well, you're already halfway to a music degree. Why don't you just go get your music degree? I did that, and um, doing that, I met a lot of musicians that would uh, help form the first band that I was in um, regularly. Uh, the same person actually uh, went down, signed me up for an open mic, and packed the place out. And so I went and played three songs to a packed audience at the Oasis, and that kind of just reawakened the bug. And uh, you know, once I got to into music school again and actually started playing with people, then it just went from there. So yeah came quite natural yeah I got you and so uh, just a little bit about those bands and um, what was that sound what were, what kind of sound were y'all pursuing um, you know I've never been at really good at being totally deliberate in that area I guess I always from back when I was eight I always play my own songs you know and so there was always I always find I don't have a ton of covers to pull from or a ton of stylistic uh mm -hmm. you know examples to shape it around it's just my stuff which tends to be um i don't know especially at that point um i was liked a lot of funk stuff so i tried to make things that were funky and groovy and uh and i guess it did probably we kind of were a jam band um you know our covers were like santana and um you know i did like a roy Ayers funk tune uh okay. and then a lot of my songs and a couple of the other guys songs and so we were, we were called. The name of the band was Feijoada, which is a Brazilian beef and bean stew. Uh, I just really liked the word. Yeah, we but, talked a little bit about that. Uh, the night yeah, we met. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't the best marketing decision ever, but uh, yeah. So that it was really based around a lot of my songs. I had a little bluesy, a little jazzy, a little jammy tinge. You know. Yeah, I got you. Um, and just uh, as you got more involved with the music scene. And uh, I guess we're working our way on into secret stages. Mm -hmm. uh, where did that heart and passion come from to be able to like, uh, okay, I want to do more for these artists and musicians, and let's create uh, this secret stages, and let's I guess we'll go ahead and move on into that. Where, yeah, did, sure. where did it come from? Um, so I, you know, the bands that I had been playing in weren't really doing a ton. I was still playing, you know, and I do, but it was gotten to the point where more I was putting together bands for gigs, so I wasn't really totally immersed in that as far as the time. Um, I uh, went to work for the Birmingham Weekly um, somewhere around 2009, which, you know, went to work for a newspaper in 2009. That's not the 
brightest thing I've ever done. Yeah. It's kind of like naming your band Feijoada. But um, here comes the internet, right? Right. Um, you know, and we were just at that point, everything was it was it was kind of a struggle with the newspaper just because everything was going to the internet, print was dying, and um, you had all the economic problems that we had in 2008 and people not wanting to advertise near as much. So I was an ad salesman. So, um, but we had a really good crew there uh, near the end or the near the end of my tenure and just sort of in that crew, it wasn't really even, you know, my idea so much as the publisher, Chuck Leishman, um, just said we should do a festival. Kind of one of those, it's like one of those sort of cliche beginnings. He and I always had an affinity for music and talking about music. He was from San Francisco and had seen, you know, uh, a lot of old bands that I was into and had actually seen them out there. And so we'd always go out after work and have beers and talk about um, music and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is in the aftermath of City Stages. That's gone. Um, and sort of before, I mean, I think Bonnaroo was around and these, there were, definitely was around, but it was before, I think, the just the huge festivals, like the, the boon of huge festivals all around. And um, it was him just, you know, like I said, sort of in a, in a drunken happy hour moment, we should have, we should start a festival, you know, and then he just really had the resources to do it. He had the, uh, you know, we just scheduled a meeting um, and, and I was sort of just along for the ride at first. Uh, we scheduled a meeting with um, uh, Travis uh, Morgan, some people from Miller, uh, I think Vivian Leo was the one that was in attendance from, uh, at that point it was, I'm going to forget what the, this is a Gulf distributor now, but it was something else back then, uh, Supreme Beverage. Okay. Um, you know, Rick Carter, who has just been, you know, been in the scene forever. Uh, I'm going to forget some people, some people from Alabama Power, some people from Allegasco um, that would be sponsors. And just, we just sort of had a forum uh, at the BNA warehouse and just talked about it. Um, and... You know, from that we decided to pull the trigger. We thought, okay, we have enough people that are we, we can get the money into this. Um, and really, uh, it was sort of like Travis Morgan at the time. Uh, if people don't know who he is, uh, he ran. Um, oh man, I forget the name of his. Le- Sorry, Travis, I'm forgetting the name of the record label that he ran forever. Uh, it'll come to me before this interview is over. I can see the bumper sticker on his car. But anyway, he had just done a lot with uh, booking bands, helping bands, wasn't managing C-Sick, bands. Was it? Huh? Wasn't Seasick, was no, it? No, it wasn't Seasick. I want to say Sub Pop, but I know it's not Sub Pop. Uh, it sounds something like that. Um, but, you know, and, and we had worked with him through the paper uh, trying to get, help him take bands down to South by Southwest. Either, I think, mostly unofficial showcases at that point, maybe a couple of official. Would it be like um, what they call now the side door projects for South by Southwest, where they would have these. Um, you know, like Birmingham, for instance, uh, we're going to bring this artist in. Mm-hmm. He's headed to South by Southwest. We're calling this our side door. Like he's going to come here, and we're going to get him there. Would it be um, kind of that? Kind it of would be. I don't think that's what it was called at the time. You know, I think at, at that time people were just doing. I've been. I've only been to South by South once. Uh, South by Southwest once, years and years ago, like '95. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like unofficial showcases. Is, is just basically how I remember them. But we were trying to do things through the paper to raise some money so to help the artists get down there. And mm-hmm. we met Travis uh, through that. And then, um, so anyway, we have this meeting in the spring of 2010. And I, my recollection is a few months later, or f- several weeks later, Travis calls us and he's like, yeah, I got 30 bands booked. 
(laughs) And we were just like, whoa, we hadn't necessarily started off running. So, you know, Chuck and I uh, were like, all right, well, we better go get some money. Um, And then, you know, we had at the paper at that time, um, uh, Sam George was uh, our, our editor. Uh, at the paper and had the design chops and whatnot, so we just sort of had this. I don't know. I kind of it's kind of had like this A team of people where everyone had a specialty that when you put it all together, it was able to make it happen. So you had Sam who could design, you had Chuck who could go out and talk the talk and get the funds. You had Travis who was you know the music guy that just knew had his finger on the pulse of the, not only Birmingham but the whole region and mm-hmm. had the contacts to get the bands. And then you had me who was just learning it all and would pick up you know pick up the slack and say hey did anyone think of this maybe we should do this and etc so yeah yeah. well cool so uh what about the the first secret stages uh was it held here in Birmingham what part yeah so year one was in May of 2011 and it was in uh downtown like the first seven years would be downtown um and we had I think we had 13 stages Although I've tried to do this before and remember them all, and I come up short, but I'm pretty sure it was 13 venues, but it was down on 2nd Avenue, 1st Avenue, and Morris Avenue. So off of Morris, you had the Matthews. Um, then above Matthews, you had M Lounge. There's a place called Easy Street. We had um, what was the Metro Bistro, it's now Collins Bar, Wine Loft, um, Steel, which has been like 1st and 23rd. I'm not sure if it's called Steel now. Um, then Pale Eddie's, Rogue Tavern, an outdoor stage. Like even there, I'm only thinking I'm naming eight, but we had more than that. But um, we had like 80 bands. Um, and man, it was, it it felt like a real success, you yeah. know, mostly because we didn't lose any money. Yeah. Um, and and it, I think everyone really enjoyed it. But like looking back, man, I can remember the moment uh, where, so Travis booked all the bands and then Travis, uh, gave a kidney to his father, so he was out of commission for the six weeks leading up to the festival. And uh, I remember being in the offices of the Birmingham Weekly and thinking, wait a minute, I play some of these bars. I always bring all my PA. I bring every bit of sound equipment. Mm-hmm. And it just dawning on me, like, we don't have any sound equipment at any of these places except oh, the man. couple that, you know, the outdoor stage came with its sound. Rogue Tavern had sound, but nobody else had any sound, so... Uh, it was one of those just like I got so nervous and scared and stressed and I pieced together you know friends with mic packages friends with amplifiers rented some stuff called everybody I knew to get enough people there to be stage managers and sound engineers and it was just the most piecemeal thing ever and it pretty much worked out you know my whole job I think the first Friday of of the very first secret stages was just walking around this pretty bloated footprint, like picking up a mic stand from one stage, taking it to another stage that needed it, picking up a direct box from that stage, taking it to you know another stage, getting you know some just moving equipment around and around, around to meet the band's needs, you know, and uh, it, you know, we pulled it off, uh, so that was good, but it was pretty stressful. Yeah, um, just to fast forward to last year, then we'll we'll hop right back is. Um, Last year was the first time I'd heard of it. Okay. And I'm Kennedy, Alabama, right on the state line, Alabama, mm-hmm. Mississippi. Okay. And I had been doing a lot of podcasting out of a, a Sunstroke house. It's a uh, house show. Uh, mm-hmm. I own a lot of house shows. Yeah. Faye Webster had just come through. 
she played there. Yeah. Faye and, was one of my favorites. Hey, I'm Faye Webster. This is Sunstroke House in Columbus, Mississippi. And I'm going to play a song called Right Side of My Neck. say like you said earlier about Travis was had his finger right on the pulse mm-hmm. is uh, Faye Webster that's huge from yeah. Atlanta it's like the the names that y'all get to come out and play these uh, it's pretty remarkable yeah and I think you know I don't know as you start to talk about recent years just to give credit where credit's due you know we had in year two uh, Rashid Candil uh, came on and for at least the first several years really concentrated on hip-hop and brought that element uh, to us because we definitely wanted to have that element um, not that Travis couldn't book hip hop, but we just you know wanted to bring some other uh, blood and thought process into it, and mm-hmm. uh, that was a really big focus for Rashid, especially with his Lobotomics crew. Um, in the last couple years, uh, you know Travis took a step back and then decided he needed to concentrate on you know family, and he had a career direction change, and uh, Lauren Polly uh, has stepped in and done a lot of the booking. So when we started to talk about the last couple of years, some of those um, names might have been brought in by one of those other guys, but. For sure, and the you know Travis is a huge part of our identity, and like you, like I said, and you repeated, uh, having his finger on the pulse. You know, he just like he brought in guys from Seattle and L.A. Um, like Dawes, I think uh, might have been. I don't know if that's the band you're thinking of, but yeah, I, think I think I think so. They played first year, and, and that was, and it was really, in a lot of ways, Travis and Rashid's um, sensibility and Sam's too. That sort of taught me what this thing was supposed to be about, which was, you know, just you know the you look back at it and you go Dawes. I mean, if, if 
your listeners haven't heard of them. They've done a lot. They've been one of those bands out of L.A. They were Jackson Brown's touring band for a while, and maybe not on the recording. I know that they did some uh, backed them up on touring. Um, you probably heard their band songs on indie radio and stuff, but you know they played at a parking lot to 200 people at two o'clock in the afternoon. You know we got them because they were coming from the coast up to Nashville, uh-huh. so they stopped and did a set with us. Um, which was, you know, we wouldn't have gotten them otherwise, and that's kind of how we've been able to get some bigger names. You know, we had uh, Shovels and Rope played to, like, 40 people at the Wine Loft. Um, you know, St. Paul and the Broken Bones played in the middle of 2nd Avenue, their very first gig, you know, ever. Um, Paul was still wearing the red slacks and the uh, um, houndstooth coat. <laughs> yeah, that's um, cool. Like, to talk about St. Paul and the Broken Bones, you can kind of just go through his costumes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, um, to get off on a tangent there, but yeah, from the start and all the way through, we've had people, and definitely Travis leading the way, um, of just, I, I always say this, and I mean it lovingly, just, I consider myself a music geek, but they take it to another level as far as not really being players, but they know who's out there, they, you know, they're the guys in the record store going through, you know, rifling through everything, finding out what's new, knowing agents in Atlanta, Nashville, New Orleans, and, and the coast, and, um, having those connections to find out who's who's uh good and that was and that's you know the other thing that i always respect about all our bookers is while they want while we try to get as big a names as we can get for the money that we have um and keep it about music discovery they always said you know we, they always wanted to make sure in the marketing that we weren't saying that this is up and coming or these are bands on the rise their point was these bands are good now like this is right fantastic music right now it's just not mainstream so you get to come see it for a really low price you know when we're going into when we're going into pitch mode that's the pitch and uh so always grateful for those guys i mean that's the uh that's the attitude when i do the music interviews and even to sit and talk about secret stages is um it started at the sunstroke house just um uh, i got into that music scene and what that was is you would have people from all over the nation and it's Columbus sits right between uh, Birmingham and Nashville. Mm-hmm. And if that artist was making that L, hey, won't you come swing through here mm-hmm. in between? We'll even put you up. And uh, I started catching on to that heart and that passion. It's like, this is some of the best music that's out right now, and it's this is music discovery. You, you need to hear this. Mm-hmm. A, before they blow up, or B, you might not ever find it. Right. And, uh, man, I got a... Uh, and hats off to y'all for doing this. Yeah, and you too. It's it's a great. I'm, I would say that this. Uh, I didn't realize it at first, but I'd say the hardest thing about COVID for me, um, and this is a lucky that I guess in the pantheon of bad things that are happening to people, that I can say this is the hardest for me. But um, just not being around those people, the artists, people like yourself, that just were talking about it the people that put this kind of thing on the people that care about this the people that are like passionate and turned on by a band rolling through town and and doing a stripped down set but doing it well and just that feeling and that that was what secret stages was born of was that that experience of walking into a club and never not thinking twice about what you're going to see and get blown away by a band you know that's kind of the experience we're trying to replicate yeah. at, at its core but then also just the people that that involves whether it be sound men you know uh you know production grunts um musicians promoters like all those people that 
make of that community. It was, it was a rough summer, I realized, not being able to be around those people as much as I would have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's those are the stories that I hear coming out of Secret Stages. Was, that was a lot of time, first time that people had heard Faye Webster. Yeah. And everything, every word was the same coming from, it didn't matter who it was coming from. Mm-hmm. It was like, that was probably my favorite, and I don't know if I would have ever found her. Yeah. And then when they start picking up her records, it's like, it's, it's good stuff. And I was yeah. like, thank you, Secret Stages, once again. Y'all are doing it. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, <laughs> I have a, we measure, everyone measures success in different ways, but sort of talking about that first year when I was saying I was just running equipment around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Faye played 2018. Um, but that was a year where finally I did not have to do that anymore. And I hadn't really for a couple of years, but finally really got our, I feel like our footprint down to manageable, right number of bands, right people, you know, people doing what they do best, like production people and sound people. Mm-hmm. So you just pay someone to do it and then you don't have to be running around doing it, which allowed me to listen to more music and Faye being a set that I actually got to catch most of. Um, and she'd been one that I'd been listening to leading up to the festival and was really into. So that, you know, that's kind of a sort of, I got to have that experience of I didn't know who I was going to see when I walked into Saturn, but then I saw her and I was like, wow, she's better live than that recording I am so hot on. Mm-hmm. And this is fantastic. And, you know, getting to have that experience, you know. Yeah. Uh, and just, just a little bit more about that secret stage atmosphere. So it's downtown and it wouldn't be like a bar crawl with it where you're, you're hopping to different bars and trying, or what, what is that atmosphere No, like? it's exactly a, a bar crawl. I mean, we used to call it a walking music festival. Um, so, you know, it was, yeah, pretty much when we were downtown, like I said, I can't remember them all, but I, I know we went, I think we started at 13, but whatever it was over the years, seven to 13 venues, I mean, we started kind of paring back because we just realized that it was more manageable and people got to see more bands if we had a little less stages. But yeah, it was, and that would be the criticism we'd get is like, man, there's so much, but the band at Matthews started 15 minutes after the band that I wanted to see at Rogue Tavern, and the travel between the two made me miss, you know, half of both sets. But I, you know, people were still excited that they got to see the music. But, um, but yeah, it was definitely, and that was also I thought a really cool thing about it is, you'd get to run into people, especially people in the music scene that you don't get to see a lot, uh-huh. and a lot of us um, that were playing, and I was playing more back then, like throughout the year, like you don't get to see your buddies because you're playing on a Friday and Saturday, and a lot of the guys that I know that play, were playing more than me said that a lot, you know, like I'm always playing, I never get to see my friends, bands, or just hang out with my friends on a Friday night listening mm-hmm. to music because we're playing, so that would be a cool thing, so you definitely have that atmosphere of people walking around and uh, uh going in between different venues and whatnot yeah i guess uh just the night that we met y'all put on an event for will stewart and uh, taylor hollandsworth that was a cool night to me because it seemed like a majority of the crowd was musicians Mm -hmm. and it was that same attitude you're talking about it's like i never get to do this because if everything was normal i'd be playing some work too right i would never be able to just sit back and enjoy right it's like a little reunion yeah And that gave me, it was a, that was a special night, I felt, just because, like I was saying earlier, about just not being able to see those people and mm-hmm. be around those people that are of the same mindset. Because, you know, I mean, I, I don't work around me. I've got great friends where I work, et cetera, no problem, but it's just not the same people that are into the same thing. And being down there and having that, doing that show was exactly like you just said. I got to see, you know, musician friends, friends in radio, mm-hmm. friends in production, friends that just 
give a damn about this stuff, you know, and, and let you know that they give a damn and are excited to see it. And so that was, not to mention, I thought Will and Taylor sounded fantastic. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, to get show. back to the the point, the music was great. Yeah, no slack there. No. Uh, just to talk a little bit about the logo and uh, has it changed over time with the, uh, the Spy Man and. Uh, yeah, a little bit. As far as um, like what you're looking for, because that, that's kind of the, the hype that I get off of it is, uh, you know, the short you had on I Spy, the mm-hmm. Secret Stages that night, or I Spy Birmingham. Yeah, is uh, it took me a minute to get it. Yeah, well, I wear that shirt. I work out in Cahaba Heights and Vestavia and stuff, and I wear that shirt out there sometimes, and I get a lot of people asking about it. Um, I think that was Rashid's idea actually, but the uh, yeah, the logo. So it started out. Um, the very first years playing on the secret, uh, Sam George, you know, developed this guy. He might have just found him as a clip art thing, um, but he was a full body, you know, and had a hat, fedora, a little Zorro type mask across his eyes, mm-hmm. trench coat, um, and you know, all black. And then I think immediately year two, he just turned him into a face. Uh, and so we've played with him a couple times over the years. Uh, you know, I know Sam did like these mess with the eyes and like kind of created like a swath of color, like the eyes are kind of being ripped, not like the eyes are being ripped out, but mm-hmm. and I'm not, it's hard for me to talk in design terms, but, um, <laughs> definitely always mess with the colorscape. You know, we've done the pixelated this year. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll talk about whether next year he needs to be wearing a mask, uh, you know, like a, like a <laughs> yeah. COVID mask or not. Um, I don't know if it may, might want to not have that just so people aren't thinking about that anymore. Yeah, but um, leave it alone, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's been, he's sort of kind of stayed the same but morphed a little bit depending on how Sam does the design each year. And that's one thing we um, sort of started every year, uh, you know, to the detriment of our pocketbook sometimes as we redesign every year. So website has to be completely designed. We don't reuse any signage, you know, everything's new and looks new uh, every year, but that's fun. That's one of my favorite times of the year is when Sam rolls out the new design. I get to check it out. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that he's been, I mean, I want us to, I like it because I think a certain group, people see that and they know what it is. I think it'd be really cool if we could get to the point where, you know, we could just put that spy guy head on a billboard with the dates underneath and people be like, oh yeah, Secret yeah. Stages is coming, you know, I can't <laughs> wait. But yeah. I'm not quite there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, uh, Let's just talk about that just for everyone listening, and this is for those in the Birmingham our area and also um, as far out as you would travel to a music festival. Um, I've told you a little bit about, you know, where I'm from. It's nothing for me to go to, you know, Memphis or Atlanta to go to a festival. It's not anything to go to Birmingham mm-hmm. for a show or a festival. And so uh, what is that pitch and, like, um, how, how are you – uh, selling secret stages to people like what do you want them to know well um I, I will say i guess preface that question when i hear about folks like you i think we need to find maybe need to find our pitch and our avenues for let getting people like yourself to know like you just said you've probably been in this for, for over a decade and you didn't know about it till a couple years ago so right. we got to find a way to get people in those areas and smaller towns around birmingham that love music you know Mobile has an incredible uh, music fan base through bars like Callahan's and mm-hmm. others. Um, obviously, Nashville and Atlanta, et cetera, but uh, even the closer in spots. And so we've struggled a little bit as how do we pitch who we are to those people and say this is a festival worth driving to Birmingham, even though you might not know the headliner. So, you know, the way we, we do pitch that, um, 
mostly is just trying to get people to understand that this is going to be world-class music. Um, and it's trying to figure out a way, sort of like I always use a Sundance analogy, you know, like if you heard a film was a Sundance film, it's got a immediate cachet in your mind, you know, immediate, you know, you might, if you're into film, you're like, that's got to be a pretty good film. If it got picked to be a Sundance, it's yeah. a subject matter. I'm going to watch it. Um, so we kind of want to be like that, where it's like, oh, well, if it's secret stages, then you know they're bu booking great bands, and I want to go check that out. Mm -hmm. So really pitching that discovery um, aspect of it and pitching it to the people that are interested has been a challenge, you know, um, just because I don't think it's normal uh, necessarily for Birmingham to say, you know, people say, well, who's playing? I'm like, well, you probably aren't going to know these names, but you're yeah. going to know them in a, co a couple of them in a couple of years. Um, right. And just a sidelight, you know, like it's it's flattering but it's also frustrating and I can think of one particular example is after like year three and I was hanging out at um, Urban Standard and a friend of mine walked in and you know she said how'd it go and I said I went great and she said you know who you should get you should get well, I think it was like Sanders Bokey and I was like he played year one two years ago he played just down the street and then I like literally listed two more bands it's like he played last year um, she played in this spot you know yeah. Six weeks ago, like, yeah. where were you? Um, so, you know, getting that overs and get people to understand what they're going to see has been the challenge. As far as, you know, the more proactive and positive way we try to pitch it is just, um, you know, you've got opportunity, the way it's settled out, 50 bands, five stages, incredible VIP experience. You know, if I'm going into full pitch mode, if you want to spend for the VIP, incredible experience, you're going to be seeing uh, these bands on great stages with great lighting, with great sound. Um, and you're going to be around a bunch of people that are mostly chill and just want to watch like a bunch of great music. And if you're into that in any way, like it's it's the investment is real low. You know, the ticket price is real low. So, um, you know, that's that's how we've done. I think sort of the what we've tried to get across for the first several years. This year at year ten, which didn't happen, but will happen. Um, you know, we'd like to sort of capitalize on and, and get the word across that like we you know these are the bands we've had these you're listening to these bands like mm -hmm. we've got the uh what's the word you know like trust us and come come see us and uh we got uh, the cloud or however you want yeah to yeah it. however you want to put it um you know and probably need to get some really good hotel deals in there which we've had we've had packages and whatnot but to get people in here and make it easy on them because i really that i think that's the next not that we've got every single music fan in birmingham coming to see us but i do think that the next um, sort of wave is to try to really build up our, uh, you know, people coming Outside. in from out of town, um, just in the, only coming in an hour, hour and a half, two hours, but coming in for it. And you've mentioned like St. Paul and the Broken Bones, just for uh, that local music scene, uh, it might be a local musician that's listening right now, uh, as far as the booking. Is it kind of half and half uh, with local and outside people getting booked to play, or what does that look like? We try to say 20% local, and okay. whatever number of bands we settle out, we try to keep 20% local. And local means Birmingham. I mean, we may have outside of Birmingham, Alabama may be more represented than that, just depending on the year. Um, and we'll, you know, if there's some great, we're not going to turn down a local band just because they're local if they're doing some great stuff. Uh -huh. um, but uh, yeah, that's sort of been, I mean, we settled into that several years ago um, just because, you know, our, one of the things we always want to do is I've had this experience I think a lot of local musicians have had this experience and not to put this festival down because I think it was great for Birmingham and I'd love to see something like it come back but you know we'd play city stages and you'd play the homegrown stage and kind of be tucked away in a corner somewhere and you'd 
and it was a thrill to get to play it, but you know, your family and friends came out to watch you. At least that was my experience. I'm sure there are other bigger, badder local bands that have bigger crowds, but we always said, you know, let's let's not marginalize the local bands. Let's put them right in the lineup with everybody else because mm-hmm. especially at the as far as the level of notoriety of the bands we're booking and and talent wise, they're just as good. You know, we have some incredible talent right here. Yeah. And, you know, I mean I'll put Taylor Hollingsworth and Will Stewart, you know, Parts up the there with anybody else that's played this festival. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and that's just a couple. Um, you know, not to mention, you know, people like Lovemore and um, you know, several others that are just gonna escape me at the moment, but they're and we just got a super group that formed with the blips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I have to pick up the the key for this place from Will, and they're coming here to rehearse in a minute. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, locals. We, we try to keep it twenty percent. People that want to get booked, you know, typically, like I said, our bookers are out there. They're they're in the know, so they kind of go get who they want to get. They often know like hey, this artist and this artist are collaborating. No one else knows it, but their thing's not going to come out till a week before the festival. We're going to get them for our first show. Mm-hmm. Like We love doing stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, so typically they go out and get it. We do have a submission page on our on our website that you can submit to. I think that's it's, it's a just, we try to be honest and just say that we do check it. We do look at it. There is a chance you pique uh, someone's, one of our bookers' curiosity through that way. More often than not, our bookers are out finding the people and going by word of mouth and learning about what's going on out there and getting who they want. But uh-huh. um, uh, yeah, locals are definitely a huge part of what I mean. And, and they've we've had locals, you know, not to get into a negative thing, but we've had little spats over the years over our radius clause and you know trying to keep the festival fresh and not just you know mm-hmm. bands that played every weekend leading up and every weekend after that you can see everywhere we want to keep the festival unique and whatnot and you know i've had people say well it's just locals they're not driving your uh, audience and i said that's not true some years you know we've definitely yeah. had years where there's been some local bands that have done some cool stuff that's new and they're making a, a name or they're making a buzz that's the word i'm looking for and they haven't played in a while, and we sell tons of tickets to people that wanted to come see that band or that little group of local bands. So mm-hmm. uh, we definitely don't take them for granted. All right. Uh, with with the website and just to talk about uh, the 10th year, even if it, I guess, might happen next year, mm-hmm. uh, what are some of those plans for uh, the 10-year blowout? Um, man, it's been a, you know... In January and February, I had a really great answer for this question. <laughs> and now it's very different. You know, I had all these things uh, sort of up, up, balls in the air, you know, to make it, um, make year 10 unique and special. Um, and I am sort of just back at it uh, as far as what we're really going to do. So it's tough to answer that question because I don't 100% know what we're going to be able to do. Are we going to be able to be back inside five venues packing them out elbow to elbow mm-hmm. rocking out again you know i, I kind of don't think so but i don't know um you know maybe we'll get a vaccine and everybody will be back to normal by you know june um i think in general terms what we're trying to do is what we've tried to do is for the last few years is get a little cream on the top of our lineup but with some acts that have a little more notoriety you know last year uh, we had like lily hyatt Oh, yeah. um, you know, we had like Lady Midnight and Saw Rock. Um, we had, um, uh, he played the festival, I think, twice before, but definitely uh, a bigger name now, and Dylan LeBlanc. 
Um, so trying to put a little bit of, 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 like I said, cream on the top of the lineup so that we can get a little bit more, I guess, a little more eye-catching to some people that might not necessarily, the people that might not necessarily want to drive an hour and a half for bands they hadn't heard of. Um, at the same time, we always want to keep the music discovery thing going. We want to bring new acts and new people to you. So that'll be a big part of it. Um, you know, we want to up our production. We've been working... We sort of had a, you know, and I don't want to speak for anybody. These are these are things that were sort of up in the air, but we had a little bit of a, um, a thing coming, starting with the city and a, and some um, negotiations or talks starting with uh, uh, Tech, um which is Tech Birmingham. So I'd like to bring to the festival in the years to come, one, an educational aspect. You know, as we've done little things to give back over the years. We've done little charitable things. I mean, we haven't, you know, earn just a ton of money to be that impactful we have done some things like with scroll works which is a youth music school so i'd really like to expand on that in some way you know whether we're um my thought is we have these venues that we're not really taking advantage of till five o'clock but they're ours they're paid for they're rented out they're equipped with sound and video and lighting so what kind of things could we put on there that might be educational for birmingham kids whether it's a you know a master class in music whether it's a business class maybe help get Sloss Tech involved, maybe it's on the tech side, career, you know, how do you get there from here type stuff. Obviously, this is all loose ideas and they're vague at the moment. And then I'd also like to just bring some sort of, um, you know, technology component to the footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, the one the one idea that I have that I've talked about, and you know, nobody hold the, don't hold me to this next year, but I think this could be really cool, and I sort of had an end to getting to making this technology work, was have a little kiosk where you could step up, put on VR goggles, and headphones and feel what it's like to stand in front of 50,000 people, you know, like, cool. you know, just for a couple of minutes, feel yeah. what it's like to be, be a rock star. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, if you had a half a dozen experiences, maybe not exactly like that, but in that realm, sort of debuting a little technology, but also for the random consumer is entertaining. I'd like to bring that, um, you know, to the forefront or to the, to the fray. Um, and other than that, you know, I really just what we want to do is expand the number of people, which, again, it's hard to just say this in the middle of what we're going through right. the pandemic, but, you know, just have a bigger reach and have this festival be something that it already is to so many people. So many people count on it, love it. You know, it's it's a, uh, a staple of the Birmingham summer music calendar, um, event calendar, and it's gotten to where it has from a lot of sweat and hard work, but I think we're at a point where it'd be nice to take a couple... Uh, you know, large leaps forward as we get people really understanding how much fun they can have if they come down, how much music they can see. And I think the more people you get down there, just the more fun it is for everybody, obviously, as, as long as we manage them well. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, Just the way that I've interpreted it uh, since I found out about it and as I'm still learning more about it is uh, it's doing a whole awful lot for the Birmingham scene because when you can get the outside to look in, that I've been saying it for months now that I believe that um, I lived in Mobile for mm-hmm. six years and been all over Alabama but this is the mecca of Alabama when it comes to music right and it's like when you talk about it on a national scale it's looked over yeah slipped right past and I think this would be the thing that would we're here yeah it needs to be on the map you know yeah and it's been I think we happened at a good time you know I, I it's been fun to to think about the I don't know, the trajectory of Birmingham music. You know, when I moved here, 
it didn't feel like there was a lot. I'd go to see my, go look at my fans' calendars, and they were always skipping to Birmingham. Um, and then, you know, Bottle Tree came along and sort of served as this bridge between the old, as I understand it, I wasn't here then, but someone out there may disagree with the way that I'm about to say this, but, you know, it was there, that whole Louie Louie Five Points Music Hall scene that was sort of the rock scene in the late 90s, I think. Um, those places closed. And it just seemed like the Birmingham music scene was sort of stumbling along. You had Bottle Tree that was this really great connector, um, you know, treated the bands fantastically, got all these mid-sized bands that were traveling through, got them to come to Birmingham, put on great shows. Um, and then since that, you know, you've had the breweries. The brewery culture has created great venues. Um, then you just had, you know, this, uh, it has been a slow, lurching sort of movement forward, but you've had this downtown loft combined with the breweries combined with places like iron city then avondale and saturn and you know again a brewery like we're getting outside of secret stages i feel like we're getting shows and we're getting those mid-level bands are coming through um and making our scene a lot bigger and better um mm -hmm. and so we definitely want to keep playing a part in that you know and i think we're a small enough town that we all kind of got to work together but uh you know having a Two things, I think, have, like you said, getting outside to look in, you know, and that's one thing I'm proud of is we've had the Wall Street Journal, Up Rocks, Utney Reader, Pace Magazine, you know, all doing great reviews of our festival um, and getting people to look in and realize what kind of talent we have here, getting bands to look in and want to come back, you know. Yeah. That's always a thrill. Band comes and plays, like, man, never seen them here. And then two months later, they're playing at one of the venues that booked them on their own. They came back. That's fantastic. And then also from the other side, as we already talked about, local bands, being able to have a gig that hopefully will be significant, like, yeah, you might just play Secret Stages and that's it, nothing may come of it, but also we've had some industry here and we want to expand on that a lot and sort of bring that South by Southwest element where if you play the festival, you got a good chance of meeting a producer, meeting a, you know, these days it's less about record labels and more about, you know, a booking agency, mm -hmm. or a talent scout in some way, and we've had those kinds of experiences happen, but for a local band, really being able to have a gig that might be impactful to your uh, you know, trajectory and your growth is something we want to bring to the table. So, Cool, man. Well, just to talk about uh, ways, even in the off-season, to support Secret Stages, uh, website, apparel, merchandise. Uh, yeah, we've got um, uh, apparel, T-shirts up on our website at secretstages.net. We're still .net. We're old school. Um, I am too. Yeah. <laughs> Ours is too. <laughs> so yeah, secretstages.net. You can find uh, all our shirts there. We've got um, a lot of our shirts from years are finally sold out, but we've got. And I thought, you know, I'm a little biased, but I thought 2019 had some of our best designs, um, including the I Spy Beham shirts and the uh, we did some pixelated uh, shirts, including a Pride shirt that has the his guys hats in a rainbow. Um, colors, which I was pretty proud of. I thought that was really cool. Um, so that, as far as financially, that's, you know, the best way um, through that website. If anyone's out there and wants to support the festival through any kind of sponsorship or partnership or anything, we are open to ideas. So you can find my uh, contact information um, on the website. Uh, we will, you know, keep an eye. I'm following us through social media is huge because, you know, like everyone, that's where we're doing a lot of announcements and we will be doing um you know we have picked our dates i'm not looking at the calendar and i forget it's the first weekend of 
uh, August, I believe it's the 5th and 6th, 2021, and that'll be our year 10 anniversary reboot. Um, and, you know, we'll be in Avondale. We moved since since downtown a couple years ago. We moved over to Avondale. Um, but, you know, if you keep an eye out for us on social media, you'll find out when we do our early bird ticketing. Uh, we always start, we've always started our early bird ticketing in Valentine's and done a two-for-one, sort of a couples thing, uh, playing off the Valentine's theme, which is, I mean, I had people come up to me in the middle of the year going, dude, that's too cheap. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that anymore. You know, like, that's bad. But we do it, and it's a great way to get uh, inexpensive tickets. Last year we did it, we did two of them, and we started on Cyber Monday. Um, yeah. So uh, whatever that was, last year was December 2nd, I think. Um, so, yeah, keeping an eye out for us on social media to know what we're doing and uh, for those opportunities to be a part of it is the best way, I'd say. Well, cool, man. I don't want to... I don't want to miss anything. Is there anything that uh, anything else you'd like to talk about with that secret stages? Oh man, I don't know. I feel like you've let me ramble pretty, pretty thoroughly. Um, well, let me ask yeah. you this about just the local breweries. Uh, you mentioned it briefly. Um, have they been a part of like maybe supplying the beer and offering up a stage? I know it's. You said you moved to Avondale. I'm yeah, sure that they are. Yeah. So well, good people. So. The answer is yes. Um, you know, you're always sort of, what we run into is we, we feel strongly and we've tried different things that we want to keep our footprint in a walking footprint. So, you know, it's tough to involve more than one brewery in that situation as far as the venues. Mm-hmm. Um, the breweries work together pretty well, but some of them, you know, are with one distributor as opposed to another distributor. So it works pretty well to give exclusivity um, to one or another. Uh, so over the years, it's kind of switched and morphed and whatnot. Now we're using Avondale. Um, and it's kind of, it's been kind of cool that good people bought Avondale because that means there's two breweries that we can work with. Uh Um, and they've been, you know, uh, good before years ago, I had a situation where, um, I think it was around the time, and this is not a complaint because I totally get it, but Miller who had been sponsoring us, decided they didn't want to sponsor us and they became the main beer sponsor for Sloss Fest, which I can completely understand. Two different ballparks, two different playing fields. Um, and I understand why a huge, you know, um, domestic would go with a festival like that. But anyway, we were left with a, having to scramble a little bit and good people was like, yeah, whatever you need as far as donating beer and got it done like that. And we tried to give as much back as we could. So that relationship has always been good. And now that they bought Avondale, um, you know, and that Avondale is starting to serve liquor and whatnot. So it's sort of making it, it's opening back up for us again where mm-hmm. we can get, you know, like Tito's has been a great sponsor. And um, over the years, Coke or Pepsi has been a good sponsor. And um, Avondale Good People has been a great sponsor and, and great to work with. As far as your question, a lot of the other breweries have, you know, I've been reached out, reached out to and had them reach out to me. Hey, we love what you do. So I've always felt great support from the other breweries. It's just sometimes hard to get everybody involved when you're working with one you know yeah sure well cool man um i guess i don't have any other questions for you no uh, man, i appreciate you plug, letting me come on plug the social medias uh ways that they can find you on facebook or Instagram, yeah we're Twitter. under uh you know if you look if you search secret stages birmingham you're probably going to find it all but facebook uh we're secret stages um we got the instagram i think we've got them all we don't have snapchat anymore or maybe we do. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I have a person named Nicole Chapman who handles all the social media, and she's fantastic. But Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're all over that. Anytime we've got anything to say, we are we hit that stuff pretty hard. So 
Well, cool, man. Um, John, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the podcast on whatever app it is that you listen to on. Tell a friend about it. You can put it on your social media, but uh, tell you, buddy. Word of mouth is everything. All right. Going to walk this thing out the door now. A little more music discovery. Local here to Birmingham. Will Stewart. Here is Sipsy. Off his album, County Seat.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.